Welcome to Two Guys in the Bible, a conversation on theology, culture, and God's Word. My name is Eric Leupold. I'm joined, as always, with uh, Dylan Kenniston. Good morning, Dylan. How Good are you doing? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. And thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate all the support that you guys give us. And uh, certainly, uh, we uh, ask if uh, you enjoy this uh, this podcast that you would please uh, rate us on iTunes uh, and uh, send us uh, emails, feedback, and of course, uh, you know, we can't function without your support. So I uh, would I'd greatly appreciate that, and we hope that we can continue to be a blessing to all of you. So on today's episode, we are going to discuss the topic of the Family. 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 Everyone loves family. That's right. Uh, yeah, well, well, maybe not. Maybe not everyone. <laughs> maybe not, not. not everyone. Not everyone. Not everyone. Well, we, we were talking about the church a couple weeks ago. We were talking about spiritual gifts. Uh, and so now we, I think we just wanted to shift gears and and move now to a different entity. Not mm. the church, but now just the family. The, yeah, uh, different sphere. Different sphere. That's different right. Different sphere. Yeah. That's right. If you uh, tuned in to some of our earliest podcasts, we talked about uh, sphere sovereignty, the the differences between the responsibility of uh, the individual human person, the individual of the family, uh, not the individual, the, the entity of the family, uh, the state, and the church. So it, you would say, you know, you would probably agree with the idea that there's about four four spheres in that regard. Yeah, roughly. I mean, I, I've heard four, I've heard three, but that, that's usually the breakdown falls along, you know, church, state, family. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and the individuals kind of get and in. Individuals, like, kind of, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, that's that's obvious. So, we've talked a bit about the state. We've talked a bit about the church in previous episodes, and now we're going to take a look at the family, the importance of the family, and what its function is. So, to begin, Dylan, I kind of, I guess, I'll throw the first question out to you. There, I mean, is the family important? Is it an outdated concept? I mean, you know, wh- why does a family exist? Yeah, well, actually, so I'm going to, let's let's back up a little bit on, on your question. Isn't it, is it an outdated concept? Let's start there. So I think where some of that is coming from is the notion of family having changed over uh, the course of the past couple of decades to be, to broaden a bit. Mm-hmm. So initially, um, family, and I think family broadly as it's understood in the Bible could fall under kind of one of two categories. So in category one, you could say there's a kind of genetic family. You have a, you have a, everyone has a mom and a dad, right? And so there's yeah. kind of an immediate genetic connection there, an immediate family that typically, um, ideally, this is the home in which a person is raised, is under both a, the influence of both a mother and a father. This ties into complementarianism as a, as a biblical vision for uh, the, the sexes, right? So that's, that's part of it. Um, there's also another notion of family in the Bible that's kind of a spiritual family, right? So we, we are, you and I are brothers in Christ, mm-hmm. and we kind of share the same family, uh, kind of the church family, right? Mm-hmm. And church not only locally, but in the church, church universal, so that, you know, you could go to some brother in, in China and and who really is, does believe in, in the Lord and, and, and Christ and in salvation through him and has believed the gospel, said, that's my brother, yeah. right? So, like, there's a connection there that, like, you might have a familial sense of a connection that's in one sense maybe closer than a genetic family member who doesn't necessarily have 
uh, believe in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, so, so like the blood is thicker than water, but the spirit is stronger than the blood. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, it's the spirit that builds that family. Exactly. And it's an eternal family. Mm, um, mm-hmm. and, and so it, there's, there's a whole bunch of different ways to, to, that, that the Bible has of talking about family, very rich language. Um, now, now, over time, right, this notion that the family is, is genetic, right, so that, that former notion, um, there are exceptions to that. And there always have been exceptions to that, right? You think of, for example, someone who maybe was, was, a, was proselytized into Israel or some, someone who had been a, a, maybe a slave, uh, had been captured by Israel, but eventually worked their way and got to know the family and, and decided that they loved the family and wanted to become part of the family, you know, not... not a slave in the sense that it was practiced in America, you understand, where it's mm-hmm. kind of a chattel slavery that is was dehumanizing in, in human trafficking. But in the sense of, you know, maybe somebody was not an Israelite but fell into debt to someone who was. Or maybe you had someone who, you know, the Israelites had, had conquered a nation and instead of putting everyone to the ban, took some in as uh, slaves. So, or the existence of divorce. Or, or even the existence of divorce, exactly. I mean, that's that's another instance, right? So in all these cases, you, you do have um, some people who kind of come into uh, and is the family the family of Abraham in a sense, mm-hmm. um, and and that all that likewise gives us um, it, it's been around for a long time that the notion of family extends beyond mere genetics. It extends beyond merely just you know here's your your blood mom and your blood dad and your blood kids mm-hmm. um, adoption. Right, you think of adoption That's as true. a category biblically, and we are adopted into Christ. The whole trajectory is is there, um, so that's one side of it. I think as we continue to um, push down lines of, let's say, you know, from some time ago, uh, no fault divorce. Really, I think there at at that point you start to compromise some of the definition of marriage socially. And, and with that, I think, is a bit of a slippery slope to beginning to undermine some of what has historically been understood by the word family as well, because the marriage between a mother and a father kind of being the bedrock what's, of what historically has been the nuclear family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that gets played out in all kinds of ways uh, biblically, and we'll see that. We'll see like the support system mm-hmm. is understood generally to be the family. The education mm-hmm. is, is meant to be the family in, in, in kind of how God lays things out in his word. And mm-hmm. as that family no longer um, kind of serves those those purposes which, which God has laid out, then there's other means of kind of stepping in and, and remediating that socially. So um, Yeah, so I think... Um... We, we talk, you talked about the nuclear family, yeah. and uh, I had a, some questions for you about that, some, mm. some thoughts as well. So, so the question is, can't, can't just any conglomeration of people be considered a family? So, for instance, you, you, you would admit, like, there's divorce, there's, all, there's death, there's, there's conquest, there's all kinds of problems that um, end up resulting in non-standard, mm. which is a non-standard family units or family dynamics, right? So the, I can imagine this, the hypothetical uh, unbeliever saying, well, again, can't we just make family whatever we want it to be? Mm. And it seems, though, that there is an ideal or there's a structure. So there's, there's, 
there's structure and then there's also freedom. I, I guess I've heard it, people call it form and freedom, right? So the, what seems to be the structure is marriage. Mm-hmm. Like in all those cases, whether there's divorce, whether there is conquest, whether there's death in the family, marriage is still one, you know, between a man and a woman for life, ideally. And you don't tweak with that definition. That's the root of it. But you'll still have a variety of family forms that come out of come out of come out of that. You know, I mean, yeah. a person a person's husband or, or wife dies, and they get remarried, mm-hmm. and now there's an extended family. So even though the family has changed, it's not quite nuclear anymore. It is. Um, it's still the same uh, root there. So so would you say <clears throat> that? It's wrong to basically take the perspective that you can make family whatever you want it to be. You know, it's like, it's just Play-Doh in our hands. Family just doesn't mean, it means whatever you want it to mean. Yeah, it's not a social construct. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, So it's not something that is, okay, so let me back up. In one sense, it is a social construct. In the sense that um, you could, I suppose, in theory, look at how families operate in different cultures and look at how fa- what what defines family, what constitutes family in different cultures, you may come up with slightly different answers. But mm-hmm. by and large, generally, uh, the, the, the structure has been through a marital covenant. Um, and now, there, and as you say, there may be extensions of that. Um, where you know maybe there's a there's a death in the family, or even in the the idea of extended family. Let's say a, you know you're you're married to your your first spouse, but you know they have a, they themselves have a sister or a brother, and so there's cousins and there's yeah there's extended family in that sense In-laws, too. Yeah. But but here's a good like maybe test case. So when we think of the word adoption, okay, we don't think of um, peers, we think of kids. Yeah. Right. If you're going to adopt someone, you generally are adopting a child. You're not generally adopting a sister or mm. adopting a brother. You're adopting a child. Mm-hmm. So even in the language of adoption, you have this kind of core assumption. So I, I think it relates back to your point about about marriage mm-hmm. kind of being that that binding uh, foundational unit. Right. Because even if someone is not married and they adopt. Right. It's still kind of that. They're taking on a parental role with respect to this other person, mm-hmm. and they're doing it coven- in, in one sense covenantally, right? There's there's a covenant that they are taking on. There's a legally binding contract they are taking on that says, I'm going to be the overseer of this child, right, or of this mm-hmm. individual who I'm, who I'm taking on in that particular role. Mm-hmm. So the notion of family, um, while there may be some flexibility uh, at the margins, the core of it has always been, as you said, kind of this marital relationship defined by a, a defined by some kind of covenantal notion between, it could be husband and wife. It could be, let's say you have someone who, you know, it was a husband and wife couple and the husband passed away and the wife for one reason or another says, you know what, I, I'm doing okay. I've really got the support of, of my church in this and I want to go ahead and adopt a child. Um, is it an ideal home? Well, not ideal, right? Because generally you want a child to have both the influence of a mother and a father. Um, but well, that's nevertheless, so bigoted of you to say that. I know, but, 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 but that's, that's the truth, right? But, but at the end of the day, is it the case, that, like, is this woman sinning by adopting a child who does not have, a, where there's not a father in the home? 
I, I, That's hard to say. It's hard to say, but I would kind of lean towards no, right? I, well, let me put it this way. I can imagine situations where it would be just where, where I, yes. I would I would look on that favorably. Is yes. it ideal? No, right? No. But I can imagine situations where I would look on it favorably. So yeah. when I can imagine situations where I could look on it favorably, I generally say, well, it's probably not a sin in and of itself yeah. to do. So you mentioned ideal, and that's where I was trying to think of, like, what is the ideal family? It would seem, based on Genesis, so we have prior to sin entering the world, we have Genesis 2, 24, which seems to be the God's provision of the family, God's yeah. creation of the family unit. Because you know, he, he makes man, he, he makes woman, and then in 2, 24 of Genesis, he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Yes. So it seems like right there, that is the, that is the cycle of family that is supposed to function prior to the entrance of sin mm. into the world. So it seems like the ideal situation is man, woman, children. Yes. That's family. But because of sin and death, um, even though the core is still there, you get those iter- you get those variations. Exactly. Because yeah. of the presence of divorce, which God allowed for, because of the pre- because of death. And because and, their hearts were hard. And because yeah. their hearts were hard, you're going to have some variety amongst the family, but you're still going to have the core ideal yeah. being mommy, daddy, children. Right. Like that is the ideal. And we should strive to preserve that ideal. Yeah. I mean, I would say so. Yeah. So, right. Because, because generally, um, so this is a, a creation ordinance, mm-hmm. right? So when we think about, um, when we think about what are those things that this is kind of, uh, tying back to a hermeneutical question in one sense, but let me, well, let me back up. Mm-hmm. S- suppose you have um, a Hindu woman and a Hindu man, and they marry. Okay, are you get they... Hindu children? Well, yeah, exactly. But, no? but well, but are they married? Right? Because there are some Christians who would say, who who would say no. By and large, you know, in the Roman arena where it's kind of like marriage is thought to be a sacrament of the church. It's oh, so it's actually, not a real marriage. It's not a real marriage because oh. they're not Christian, mm. right? And and that comes up a lot. A marriage is a creation ordinance. Now, mm-hmm. when you see things that are done in creation that are laid that foundation so early on in Scripture, even as you said, kind of pre-fall, mm-hmm. those are things that are that are picked up often in Scripture as types or patterns that are applicable to creation as creation, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we, we don't have to go too far down that rabbit trail, but it is to say that, yes— Right? If you have a Hindu woman, a Hindu man, they get married. They're actually married. Right? If you have an mm-hmm. atheist woman, an atheist man, they get married. They're actually married. Yeah. Right? There's an actual because um, it's a, because it's a creation ordinance. Um, all that to say, the the family as as God has has laid out in His Word is something that is intended to be a blessing to all. Yeah. Right? And it's intended in one sense through that blessing mm. to all to be a blessing to society because mm. as we said earlier family being kind of the bedrock of society kind of that that foundational unit mm-hmm. for society um, and historically those cultures and those societies that have that have uh, seen that and, and and benefited from that and have and have nurtured that notion have um, fared better yeah. by and large historically yeah. Than those that have not, and there's there's a reason for that. Yeah. So family, the, the the core family unit, eventually becomes clans, tribes, and then nations. So 
if you boil it all down, any culture, any society, the, the building block, you would say, is the family unit. Right. And that everything else kind of springs out of that. Because, you know, obviously if the population of the world was a lot less back then, you didn't have whole nation states first. You had families first, which reproduced themselves into clans and tribes and various uh, people groups. So the question now is, okay, so there seems to be a biblical warrant for the family as a, as a foundational creation ordinance, uh, a unit that's continued today. Well, what is the duty of the family then? What is its role? Yeah, so I mean, a, a couple you know, of Versus things. the church and the state. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, well, a couple of different things. So, some come immediately to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the family is to be the, the, uh, the primary source, I think, of, of education okay. f- for a child, right? Yeah. Well, so yeah. now th- there can be all kinds of exceptions to that before, before we send in on some angry comments. But the, um, generally speaking... The family is to be the primary source of education. Now, now you know, is may there be a place for kind of a private Christian education because not every mom and dad are maybe yeah. able in our day and age now when, you know, things are more expensive now than they were because it's expected that you be a two-income family and that both there's now that there's two incomes now, you yes. know, either the mother or the father, usually the mother can't stay home and educate the children. Are there some of those social expectations that have changed and made things harder to do this? Yes. So you know, I'm not going to throw stones at, at Christian families who uh, do not homeschool, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to throw stones. But ideally, all else being equal, it is the responsibility, I think, of the parents to educate the children. So, but even if it's not that, so even if they don't do it themselves, they're responsible yeah. to oversee yes. and to delegate properly. Yeah, and, and to and right. oversee that process, right? And to oversee that process. So you don't get to just be like, oh, I'm going to send my kids to public school and, and punt. it's and punt, and it's yeah. not my responsibility. Okay. No, it's absolutely your responsibility to know what's going on there and mm-hmm. to be very involved and to make sure that the worldview formation that's going on there from a Christian perspective is, is well, healthy, biblically. And and it's chances are it's not going to be if yeah. they're going to a public school. So that means if, if your kids are in a public school and you're a Christian family— you're going to have to make up some of the difference. Yeah. You're probably going to have to do more work than you might have to do otherwise if they were homeschooled because okay. you have to then combat some of the some of the worldview challenges that come up. So, yeah, what are some passages then that you'd say? Yeah, so I think Deuteronomy 6 comes up. Yeah, uh, one that's kind nine. of a heavy one for me this, too. This is a big one, right? It says, um, I'll just go ahead and read it. Okay. Now, this is the commandment, the statute, the rules uh, that the Lord God commanded me to teach you that you may do in the land uh, them in the land that you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God. Uh, hear, O Israel, verse 3, uh, be careful to do these things. Verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It's the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and your, all your soul and all your might. Um, here's uh, verse 6, and you shall teach, and, excuse me, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them on as a sign of your, uh, as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your mm-hmm. eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, some would look at this and say, um, "This is purely a kind of religious like education, theological training." Kind of theological mm-hmm. training. I, I don't dispute that that's absolutely there, and that's kind of the primary sense of what's there, mm-hmm. um, but. All, I, but I would say this, like all of the passages that speak to this notion of education, 
um, have in mind the the family doing the educating. So you don't have the Bible talking a lot about, hey, make sure you you know you go to your history class, or make sure you, or I guess this could fall in that. Make sure you go to your math class. Make sure you go to your science class. Um, at the end of the day, right? Those are things that are we think of math and science and reading nowadays as divorced from God, right? Thanks in large measure to some of the philosophy of secular education. We think of these things as divorced from theology. One realm is one realm is religion. Yes. And then science is another realm. Thanks to Kant, right? The noumenal, the phenomenal, like that's not a helpful distinction. It is bad. It's from the pit, right? At the end of the day, math and science and language arts and history are to be studied to the glory of God, that there is a God who stands sovereignly behind these mm-hmm. things and imposes order on. So you you add two plus two and you get four every time. Why? Because there's a God who imposes an order on mm-hmm. the universe that says we can expect future events to be the same as they were in the past in the realm of contingent experience. Are you saying that Jesus is Lord of all? I'm saying Jesus is Lord of all. <laughs> all authority? Even of two plus two equals four. <laughs> you don't get that. that without Jesus. I'm, yeah. I'm telling you, right? That's true. So, so like this notion that, oh, Deuteronomy 6 is just talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, theological education. Everything, every edu- every sphere of education mm-hmm. ties back to and depends on and is rooted on the triune God who created everything. Uh, uh, one other maybe point to support that more indirectly would be the book of Proverbs. Mm. So I was just reading through uh, just the first part of Proverbs chapter 6. So here, allegedly, right, this is, and I, I believe this is Solomon writing predominantly to his son. And these Proverbs are his teaching being given to his children. And here's what... He says in verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. And this is, uh, catch this pattern, bind them on your heart always, tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. So the same pattern of language that you just read in Deuteronomy 6, yeah. walking, lying down, rising up, talking. That's good. And he's talking specifically about the father's commandment and the mother's teaching. But then in verse 23, he says this. This is also very interesting. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. So he's connecting, obviously, the, the word of God being the, the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. Um, and then, of course, all of Proverbs speak on like a lot of different topics. They speak on how to be a good neighbor. They speak on speech. They talk about economics. Yeah. Like, you know, so the book of Proverbs covers every aspect of life, Uh, leadership, being a king, being a servant. um, And all these things are being taught by Solomon to his son. And then the context is, this is, this is, that discipling. Yeah. Like yeah. this is in obedience to the commandment that God gave. Exactly. And, and again, I'm now I'm not, I would not throw stones at Christian families who say, you know what, be, be for all kinds of reasons that may be, you know, personal to them, unique to them. You know, they're not, I, they're, it's not a sin. I don't think to, to send your kid to Caesar schools, to a private Christian school. Oh, okay. I was going to say, yeah, I'm going to try to catch <laughs> um, you on that one. <laughs> to, to, to a private Christian school. I, yeah. don't, I don't think that's sinful, right? Because, I mean, now, what is mm-hmm. sinful is shunting that responsibility and delegating it, not not really delegating and, it, but completely punting and on it. And to be fair, I don't, I think in, in many circumstances, it's not sinful to send them to public school either. I, I, like, yeah. I can imagine, for instance, yeah, a single you can mother imagine. 
who like yeah. uh, the Christian school, you know, even private Christian education is more expensive these days. True. And which that's a whole nother topic of conversation. It's a whole nother topic of conversation. But, but here's why the that thing. Is, yeah. Here's the thing for whatever, you know, for those listening, we're not trying to cause offense. Exactly. Whatever you decide to do with your children, as far as their education is concerned, be responsible for it. Yeah. Be, like, diligent. be diligent. Exactly. Exactly. And, and even like, Yes, I'm still diligent with, you know, when we send our kids to the to the Christian school. Yes. I still want to know what's being taught there. Yeah. I mean, there's no guarantee that all Christian schools teach, you know, proper properly, pre proper doctrine, for yes. example. Yes. And I think you just have to be a little bit more diligent with yes. the public school system because you know they're getting a dose of secularism. Well, yeah, th- that's that's really the thing, right? In in a public school system, it's it's that you you have more work to do, right? You, that's true. It's it's going to be harder on you in a sense because then you have mm. it, it quite apart from the notion of, you know, all of the different um uh how would you say uh, the, the normativity in public schools mm-hmm. of certain behaviors that might at least maybe still be going on at Christian schools among some of the kids, but at least may not be normalized or seen as, as, as acceptable in, in the social atmosphere of the school. Yeah. Right. Whereas in public school that, that may be different. Um, so you understand like both kids in private Christian schools and both kids in public schools, they're, they're still, sinners. they're all still, sinners. <laughs> right. They're still, they're still yeah. doing, uh, but the that difference is that in the public school, they are saying, Whatever is going on here, it doesn't matter who it's, Jesus is. It's natural. It's good. It's okay. Let's foster some of this behavior that, you know, maybe yeah. in the Bible is not uh, yeah. looked on favorably. Yeah. But but all that to say, so quite apart from that, yeah. there's still this question of worldview formation. And, and I'm not even talking about, like, teaching that is explicitly antithetical to Christianity. Oh, I'm, not, sure. I'm not, because, I mean, that's there. Like, don't get it twisted. There's oh, yeah. a lot of that there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, you, quite apart from the fact that you can't, you know, mention Jesus or talk about Jesus uh, very openly. Because without... he's not Lord of education exactly. in their eyes. Well, so the biggest danger in my mind is, is exactly that, that we come out of, educa- of of having been educated with this notion that science and math and history and language arts, that no, that these are distinct from... God's sovereignty. They're not under the lordship. They're not of under the lordship of Christ. Yeah. They work just fine without assuming God, right? Yeah. And, and and that to me is is one of the biggest dangers because yeah. it marginalizes this notion of the the importance of of who God is yeah. and 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 the and and why he is so important to our learning and yeah. to just the foundation of knowledge generally. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so, so we covered education, and, and, there's, and there's a couple other passages we could bring up. Ephesians, you know, six two. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and yes. instruction of the Lord. But okay, so we talked a little bit about education. Um, I've also, heard, welfare. Yeah, welfare. See, yeah. I was thinking. I've heard some uh, some theologians say that the it kind of in a, in, a, in a funny cheeky way that the family is the Department of Health, Welfare, and Education. Yeah, there's truth to that, though. Yeah, no, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, uh, so one passage that comes to mind First is First Timothy five. Yeah. So let me just uh, bring them up, bring that one up here, so I get. It, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. Okay, go ahead and read it. First Timothy five verse three: Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own husbands, to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications. And prayers night and day. So, the, so, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So the context is how how are we 
posturing ourselves towards widows um, who are in need of assistance. Yeah, of course. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, verse 7, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's pretty strong language. It's very strong language. And then it, it goes on to talk mm-hmm. about this, this widow again, kind of being the example where, you know, at what point does the church step in? to yes. come and provide aid. Yes. Um, and there are parameters for that, right? Yes. It's not the kind of thing where it's just like, um, th- there, there is a structure to um, economic support of, of folks, of, of welfare from, and, but the way that that works itself out biblically, and in this passage we see it's family, immediate family, yes. extended family, church. It, it would almost, if in I may, order, yeah. it would almost say also throw in the individual first too. Like if a man will not work, yeah, you true. shall not eat. Yeah. That's so you point. have the idea that, okay, you need to try to take care of yourself. Yes. And if you can't, your family should be the next line of defense yes. to support you and help you and also hold you accountable, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And then last, the church can step in in certain circumstances, although that's not its primary like the family comes first, as yeah. far as uh, yes. the, the, the 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 welfare and the health of the people of the of the person. But then the church has there has a, there's a role for the church there. So some overlapping, but that's because of sin. It because is because of sin, because of a broken family, or let's say, you know, you're, you know, God forbid, you're the only one left. Your family maybe maybe your family die. You maybe like a job situation where you have hardly anyone left. Yeah. Um, you know, and you, I've met you, people like that. Like, is it, this yeah. is not like, it, like, that's one of the things like these, these situations are so enormously complex mm-hmm. and they so depend on kind of a case by case basis, which is partly why it's important to be plugged into your local church. So you have people who know you, who love you and who know your situation. But mm-hmm. like I've met, I mean, I've met some people who, you know, are, are, um, I, I, I hate to characterize it this way, but I've met some people who just don't want to work and, and, and just will, you know, happily collect unemployment and, you know, mm-hmm. they're in no rush and, you know, for, for their medical, you know, the state will take care of them. That's and, not true, Dylan. They're, they don't exist. Well, it, they, they do. I, I, yeah. I, I, I know a number of them, Yeah. but I also know people who really are diligent in trying to pursue work yes. and, and maybe even have a job, but that job is not covered. Like, let's say, you know, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a mom who's, whose uh, husband has, has passed away. And right now she's single and she's got a number of kids and she works, but she doesn't make enough to pay the bills. Yeah. Right. Like, or yes. it's not really covering the expenses, how much she makes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in such cases, yeah, I mean, she, here's, when you see the the poverty of our of our situation of our country, um, mm-hmm. that poverty reflects poorly. We think that that poverty reflects poorly immediately on the person who is poor because it's like, hey, you should go get a job or go get a higher paying yeah, job. Yeah, that's not fair. But yeah, that's not, that's not fair. Actually, it reflects poorly on the society broadly in a sense because it. Think about all of the family connections that you see someone who's like homeless on the street, yeah. right? That person either has or had a mother and a father. Very likely they still Very have likely family. they have some living yes. family. The fact that this person is homeless bodes very poorly. It reflects very poorly on this person's family. Like why is their family not taking care of this person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the, the, the brokenness multiplies. Yeah, and I wonder like it all has this ripple effect, right? So like... Yeah. Well, sin, I would say. Sin and unbelief 
has this ripple effect. So let's, you know, for example, sin permeates the family, starts causing it to break down. But let's say, you know, the church is there, but if people uh, don't submit to the lordship of Christ, they have no desire to be part of the church, they don't want anything to do with, with, with the Lord and his kingdom, now you have the situation where the family is falling apart. The church obviously can't uh, take care of every every person without that some kind of accountability. You know, there's, right. there's so much. And then, then who steps in to save the day? Then the civil government. It'll be the state. Yeah, the state exactly. Comes in. And and I, so initially, I, I had it explained like this to me once, and it was really it was really good. It was like, you know, basically you you have. Uh, the family kind of taking care of the the, mm-hmm. the welfare and the education, um, and then you know the church coming in, of course, to come in and assist in to that support the support yes, right? right and and had been doing that successfully on that model for for quite a long time, um, and then kind of the state comes in and says, hey, you know, um, we can help with this. we can do it better. We w- initially, I think, just trying to be helpful, like, hey, uh-huh. you know, there's there may be some uh, gaps here in in you know. Mm-hmm. students who are just kind of falling by the wayside who may not be getting this mm-hmm. education we can come in and fill some of that gap let us help and then they do and then eventually what had been just kind of this notion of helping uh grows and expands kind of the the proverbial nose of the camel is under the tent now and expands to be kind of this expectation like you know I, i've heard some who would argue that you're actually doing your children a disservice if you if you do anything but send them to public school if you do anything mm-hmm. but put them on some kind of um, state-run programs and yeah I mean at that point you, you it's kind of you you've so you, you've so sold the game away right like yeah. some some time ago when you said yes let's have this the civil government come and do things that God has not given it to do in its sphere yeah and I don't want to it's not a state bashing session but we can do that a little bit too but I will say though that yes when the family fails, and then when the when the civil government tries to interject itself and replace the family, yeah. you get a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, when the government becomes the uh, office of health, welfare, and education, it does undermine. First of all, I think it's not going to be very effective at it. Well, it not usurps like the, the role fir- of family. Yeah, not like the family. Right. You're you're gonna you can't really replace the family. You can try to, and but it won't work. Um, it, it's just. It's just not good. Well, I mean, you, you hear like a lot of the language there is like it, it's familial language. You, you see, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, and, and I hate th- that phrase. Well, but 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 the danger in a phrase like that is that there is some truth to it, right? In the sense that, yeah, you need a it's more than just an individual by and large who raises a child. That's correct. There, there may be exceptions. No, there's to that. community involved. There, there's community involved. Yeah. It, you need a church community involved. Like there is that's it's God's community. There's. So that's the thing, right? All of these kind of little phrases that we, we use and apply them broadly, it becomes to take the role of kind of a familial language when you have kind of this, you broaden this notion of community, you broaden the notion of, of family, ultimately. Um, and yeah, that's, that's absolutely a thing that's going on, which is why, you know, I would love to see... Um, families, immediate families. And again, you know, you might be out there listening to this today and you might not, you know, we're talking about a husband and a wife and a, and a mm-hmm. child. Like that might not be your situation for all kinds of reasons. Um, and, and, you know, I hope, I hope this has not been too offensive for, for such folks in that, in that regard. Cause I don't, I don't, I would never want to throw stones at somebody who's no. in that situation. There are no. people out there who live in exactly like that. But in the midst of that, um, that, 
nuclear unit of the family is foundational and so tremendously formative yeah. for generation after generation after generation. Um, and we don't want to kind of uh, punt on yeah. some of that responsibility. Yeah. This has been uh, due to time constraints. I wish we could. There's so much more we can we can touch on. And maybe we'll come back and do a, a part two. I'd love to t- take a look at um, uh, some some of the other uh, the other duties of the family, some of the ways to preserve the family, protect the family in our culture. Yeah, because um, we really only touch on education and healthcare. The, yeah, the, there's a lot more to there's, it. Oh, there's a lot more yeah. discipline, authority. You know, like raising yeah. good citizens. Exactly. You know, it's it, it's in the government's best interest to have strong families because that's how it gets good citizens, um, you know, that don't murder people and break things that they shouldn't break. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely want and to touch on that. discipline them when they do. <laughs> and discipline them when they do. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, there's interesting points there for that. But this has just kind of been, a, you know, we, we've been just, uh, just touching on the importance of the family. And yeah. I think we probably will do a, a part two part two with this to to hit on some of the more in-depth topics uh, later on but uh, uh, again thank you all uh, for tuning in to this uh, week's episode uh, you know I can't say enough about about the family you know uh, just that should be for, for us Christians that should be high on our on our on our list of things to protect to preserve and to uh, defend and encourage and pray for and pray for yeah. pray for the families yeah because if that is the uh, center, if that is the foundational unit. Um, certainly, the enemy wants to destroy that. Yeah. Right. But uh, but anyways, that being said, uh, um, I pray that uh, you have a blessed uh, those listening have a blessed week this week. Uh, Dylan, thanks again for certainly. coming by and uh, for uh, doing an episode with me this uh, nice early morning. Uh, but uh, uh, until next time, man. All without caffeine. All without caffeine. All we got to get some Praise coffee. God. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see you all next time. Take care and God bless. God bless.